0: You are listening to Reach XM 233 the channel for medical professionals. While not routinely used, like all other catheter-based procedures, it is invasive and it is expensive. IVIS, however, can aid in the selection and sizing of stents and balloons and even confirm appropriate placement of a stent. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill, and today we will be talking about the current and future uses of the exciting and eye-opening technology, IVIS. We're joined by Dr. Deepak Bhatt, Associate Director, Cardiovascular Coordinating Center at the Cleveland Clinic. He is fascinated by interventional cardiology, coronary, carotid, and peripheral interventions. He has authored or co-authored more than 200 articles in leading medical journals such as American Journal of Cardiology, JAMA Circulation, and the New England Journal of Medicine. Welcome to the program, Dr. Batts.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Dr. Batts, I know that uh, spontaneous coronary artery dissection is rare, but has IVUS actually helped us in treating it or even diagnosing it?
1: Well, you're correct, first of all. It is a very rare condition, but uh, in, in a busy interventional referral practice, it does come up every now and then. And it, it's it's oftentimes for those rare situations that intravascular ultrasound lends particular insight. So in cases of spontaneous dissection or in cases, for example, of a young person that has a myocardial infarction with no clear reason why on an angiogram, intravascular ultrasound lets us see the inside of the artery and and really figure out what's going on.
0: Just as a follow-up, as you were saying that I was thinking of all the other potential causes of, of an MI, and all we ever do is, or most of we do, is focus on thrombus and plaque rupture. But what about whatever happened to Prince Metal's angina and, and vasospasm causing an M.I.? Could you comment on that?
1: Yeah, that uh, is a question uh, that I'm particularly fond of. Historically, uh, you, you, you may or may not know this, uh, a lot of that initial work on coronary spasm was done here at the Cleveland Clinic, uh, in particular by one of my uh, colleagues, Fred Hupler. And spasm used to be much more common. Uh, That is, it it really was a diagnosis that existed. I mean, now you hear the term thrown around a lot that, oh, you've got spasm, but most of the time it's just a patient with non-cardiac chest pain where the doctor's just giving them a diagnosis to give them a diagnosis. But there really was a time where spasm was a cause of chest pain and, and, and not a trivial cause. But with the advent of long-acting calcium channel blockers, uh, initially um, medicines like Procardia and now things like uh, amlodipine, uh, it's become much more infrequent and with long-acting nitrates as well. So most folks, uh, even if they have spasm, they're already treated on, uh, with those agents for presumed spasm. And it's hard to make the diagnosis. But There are a few cases still of patients that will have refractory spasm. The way to diagnose it is a bit tricky. It's a way of giving a a particular chemical, methyl ergonavine, looking for spasm on an angiogram. uh, Some risk involved to that as well of inducing myocardial infarction. So spasm is still out there, but uh, greatly overdiagnosed, and a lot of people labeled with it that don't really have the true thing.
0: Right. Are, Are you looking for it, though? If someone is in the lab and they have a normal angiogram, will you try and induce spasm? anymore?
1: Not in the setting of an acute myocardial infarction. That is, someone's come in and they've definitely had a myocardial infarction. Wouldn't wanna, it, it, it'd be relatively contraindicated to give those sort of chemicals to provoke spasm. But there, sometimes intravascular ultrasound can be useful. That is, if the coronary artery looks completely normal on angiogram, but they've clearly had, say, an anterior wall myocardial infarction, the left ventriculogram or, or an echocardiogram shows that the apex is akinetic, then an intravascular ultrasound can lend some insight. It can look at the coronary artery see if there's any plaque. In there, um, what might have been the cause of this patient's myocardial infarction? And if there's no plaque there at all, you might really wonder what happened. But oftentimes there is some plaque, so that even though the angiogram didn't detect the severe amount of plaque, it might be that there was some plaque rupture of a moderate stenosis, clot form, myocardial infarction occurred, but then the patient got maybe some medical therapy, lytic therapy, a glycoprotein 2B3 inhibitor, and reperfuse such that by the time they get to the catheterization lab, you don't see a severe stenosis. So in that way, intravascular ultrasound can can really lend some insights into peculiar cases, uh, such as a a young person with a myocardial infarction where their coronary arteries don't have any evident stenosis.
0: You're listening to ReachMDXM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kasko, and if you've just joined us, I'm with Dr. Deepak Bhatt, Associate Director of the Cardiovascular Coordinating Center at Cleveland Clinic. We're talking about the use of IVIS. Dr. Bhatt, I always hear stories, I'm sure you've heard stories, about a, a friend or a patient who had an angiogram. The doctor told them the angiogram was normal. Two weeks later, they dropped dead of a heart attack. Can IVIS help in this situation? Can, can IVAS find a significant lesion when someone had a normal angiogram, and, and should it be the standard of care when doing an angiogram?
1: Great question. First of all, yes, this comes up all the time. Uh, a patient can have a normal stress test and still drop dead a couple of weeks later from a heart attack, because all the stress test picks up, uh, assuming that there's not a false negative, is if there is a hemodynamically significant stenosis. And most heart attacks occur from plaque that's relatively moderate or mild, 30, 40, 50 percent stenoses So stress tests aren't going to pick up most of the uh, plaques that cause heart attacks. Likewise, an angiogram at least angiographic evidence that we act upon is typically a 70% stenosis, but most heart attacks occur from those 30, 40, 50% blockages. And intravascular ultrasound, if it were done, would pick those up, but I definitely wouldn't recommend that approach because it would be a matter of subjecting you know, probably half the American population to an angiogram and an IVUS, and that would be uh, potentially risky because even though the risk of complications is very small, there'll be the occasional person that has a bad groin bleed or something like that, or even you know, a mild myocardial infarction or stroke. Uh, And it'd be a very expensive screening strategy. You know, right now, the use of IVUS for detecting those sort of vulnerable lesions or vulnerable plaque really should be confined to the research arena. And I would actually discourage its use uh, in terms of just uh, screening the worried well.
0: Well, you know, not the worried well, but let's say someone is actually on the table having an angiogram. And in that setting, wouldn't it make sense to do IVIS?
1: You know, it would make sense on theoretical grounds, but until a study is done that shows that that incremental knowledge gained from IVIS will affect the patient's therapy and then affect their outcome in a beneficial way, Uh, I wouldn't recommend it other than in in research. You know, there are a lot of things that seem like they should be good in terms of risk stratification. CT angiography, for example, why not do that? That, too, can not only look at the uh, inside of the artery but look at the plaque wall, uh, in some cases in a more refined way uh, than intravascular ultrasound. But, again, without any outcome data to show that that knowledge is more useful than the doctor just measuring LDL cholesterol and prescribing antihypertensives and and telling the patient to stop smoking and getting their cholesterol under control, Uh, unless there's some incremental value that these imaging modalities bring, they really, for right now, for the most part, should be research tools.
0: Let's move on to other uses for IVIS. We read a lot in the journals pretty much every week about late stent thrombosis, and I'm wondering if IVIS can help prevent it or at least identify the mechanism
1: that is a particularly useful use uh, of intravascular ultrasound in my opinion if a patient comes in with stent thrombosis uh, many times uh, you know I'll treat it of course but um, as quickly as possible but then I will do an intravascular ultrasound to help determine what the mechanism might have been if for example it was a stent that was underdeployed or undersized that's valuable information that the ivus has provided because then perhaps by expanding the stent further with a larger sized balloon i might prevent another bout of stent thrombosis in that patient. On the other hand, if the stent looks beautiful, the doctor that put it in uh, did a great job. The stent is well opposed to the arterial wall and well sized, and that patient had stent thrombosis, then I might wonder, hmm, maybe something funny is going on with respect to their uh, blood. Do they have a hypercoagulable state, or are they just not compliant with their medicines and their antiplatelet therapy? That's most often the cause. Uh, and uh, in that way, Ivis can lend some real insight into the mechanisms of what might have predisposed to that patient's stent thrombosis. So that's actually a very useful
0: use of IVUS. Dr. Bott, let's move a little lower. Let's leave the coronary tree for a while and move on to some other, other arteries that you're interested in. Looking at abdominal aneurysms, what is, what is IVUS's role there?
1: In the peripheral vasculature, intravascular ultrasound uh, is used for clinical purposes. In the abdominal aorta, for example, intravascular ultrasound is often used to size the aorta for a stent graft for someone that's got an aneurysm. So there, for actual clinical use, it can be um, terrific. Uh, Sometimes even in other arteries, say a renal artery, if you're trying to figure out uh, exactly how tight uh, a renal artery stenosis is or how far it extends, it can be useful sometimes to characterize whether a patient has fibromuscular dysplasia as a cause of secondary hypertension. Intravascular ultrasound can provide some incremental information to an angiogram. So in a number of different ways in the periphery, uh, intravascular ultrasound is being used, not commonly, but for specific circumstances.
0: Will you use the results to say either to yourself or to a CV surgeon, listen, I think that this is a better lesion for you to take care of than myself. Uh,
1: in in uh, the coronary arteries, in are the, you referring
0: to? In the or, aorta. in the aorta. Oh, in the aorta. Typically in the aorta,
1: an angiogram, and these days a CT angiogram, provides sufficient information to determine whether a stent graft approach or a surgical approach would be
0: better. And looking outside the entire arterial tree altogether, are there indications for, for IVUS looking at perhaps the GI tract or the lungs or any other system?
1: Well, not the exact same technology, but related ultrasound-based technologies are increasingly being used. Uh, many times now, uh, the GI tract is used sort of as a window to look at other visceral organs. So uh, in conjunction with endoscopy, ultrasound is being used increasingly, but it, it's a, a slightly different technology.
0: I'd like to ask one last question. I am familiar with the oculostenotic reflex. I'm not sure if many of our listeners are, but can you define that and then tell me if if by using IVIS we are we are avoiding using stents any less than prior to before, that's
1: really a provocative question. What what the oculostenotic reflex refers to uh, is uh, the reflex on the part of of some angiographers or interventionalists when they see a stenosis that's there angiographically to go ahead and quote unquote fix it uh, with a stent. Uh, more often than not and uh, what that really refers to is when you have an angiogram and you know there's a fifty percent stenosis and it looks ugly there's just this uh, temptation it's I think something to do with the way our brains are wired to fix it to make it look right and even though you know the intentions there I think are, are, are noble it's just that there's no evidence in that particular circumstance say a fifty percent narrowing that stenting it is actually going to do any good uh, obviously, if it's a severe lesion, 80%, 90%, 70%, if there's ischemia, if there's angina, if there's unstable symptoms, that's a different story. Stenting or bypass might be appropriate. But for those more moderate lesions, it, it, it could, in a sense, just be cosmetic angioplasty that's being done. Intravascular ultrasound is useful for ambiguous lesions because sometimes those 50% lesions on an angiogram are actually worse than they look. Uh, that is, angiogram underestimates the severity and the IVUS. That way, uh, can provide some incremental information that might uh, lead one to go ahead and treat. On the flip side, things always look worse on IVUS than they do on an angiogram because there's always more plaque on IVUS. So I don't know that IVUS necessarily um, solves the whole oculostenotic reflex. I think the key there really is making sure that patients that go to the cath lab in the first place really need to.
0: Dr. Bott, as always, it was a pleasure having you on the show. Thanks for coming on again. I'm Dr. Larry Kaskell. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.